believe we'll get started. I appreciate your attendance um, at these teachings. This is the fifth one. Uh, this is the year of the family. And therefore, I'm teaching uh, these courses each Wednesday night on a different aspect of the home. And um, somebody said that marriage is a three-ring circus. Said first comes the engagement ring, and second comes the wedding ring, and third comes the suffering. Well, um, <laughs> some people feel that way, and they got reason to, because between 1980 and 1990, there were 11,800,000 divorces in this country in those 10 years. Uh, we are increasing every year. And so therefore, we need to talk about the family. And I'm so glad that the session decided that this year would be the year of the family. And part of that, uh, different emphases we have had, different school of discipleship courses, what I'm teaching here, and then in November of this year, uh, we're going to have, and would you believe I've forgotten his name? What's that? J.L. Williams, J.L. Williams, Dr. Williams, who um, is uh, one of the best Bible teachers, and particularly on the subject of the family, who is going to be with us for a teaching series, and we'll sort of end up our year of the family then. I'd like us to begin tonight by having our power prayer for the family, and I'd like you to repeat after me. I'll pray, and then you follow. Let us pray. Lord, if there is only one home left on earth, that is under God, I declare that I want it to be my home. I am willing to pay whatever price is necessary. I am willing to make any adjustments called for. I am willing to take whatever steps are divinely commanded. To have a home that is spirit-filled. Take over me and take over my home in Jesus' name. Amen. When Carl Koch was here, he said something that really alarmed me. And his source was his school's, I mean his son's school sociology book. His son is in high school, and in his sociology book, that book stated that we have gone in the last 20 years from 80% of our families being whole families, 
where you have the mother and father and son and daughter, and it's the original mother and father. That was 80% of the homes in our country 20 years ago. Until today, there is only 7% of the homes in our country where there is the original mother, the original father, and the original children. Now that is pretty alarming in 20 years to go from 70% to 7%. And so I've been teaching on this thing called what is this thing called the family? And I began by teaching what is this thing called love? And then two lessons on what is this thing called submission? And then what is this thing called intimacy? And tonight, what is this thing called a mother or a wife? Now, I think the best word for a mother, the best synonym for a mother and a wife is the word precious. I really do. I don't think there's any other word that can really come up to it. And when I think of precious, I think of Mary Jane Miller. <laughs> and I asked the Lord to direct me as to what wife and what mother could share just a little bit with you tonight before I do my teaching and as a part of my teaching, because it might be very obvious to you that I am neither a wife or a mother. And so therefore I'm limited in what I know. And so I've asked Mary Jane Miller if she would come and if she would just share with you uh, whatever is on her heart concerning this subject. Will you come, Mary Jane? But when Pastor Little asked me to do this, he really sort of zeroed in on the motherhood part. So that's mainly what I'm going to talk about. And since I've been thinking about motherhood, when he was talking about those three rings, I thought the third one was going to be the bathtub ring because <laughs> that's what you get when you have children, it seems, constantly. But um, anyway, I was, I was really humbled when he asked me because I look around this room and I see a lot of women who I look up to as examples of mothers and you know, I'm very blessed that he asked me, and my children are still, I'm in an unusual situation. I'm older myself, but I have younger children, so my children are nine and six, so so far they haven't gotten in, into any gross sin or anything, so, you know, I don't have the experience or maybe the heartache that some of you have been through and seen how the Lord has um, moved in your life and the life of your children, but I do enjoy being a mother, and um one of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 113.9. It says, He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. If Beth Beatty was in here, I'm sure she would say, Amen, praise ye the Lord. And um, that really happened in my life. I, I really, once I was married, I didn't have any trouble bearing children, but I was very barren spiritually in my 20s in a time when a lot of people are getting married and having children. I was, you know, searching for the meaning to life in um, a lot of different ways, education, travel, relationships, even some pretty weird religions, and I was a very barren woman. Um, I finally 
realized that and saw my need for the Lord and was saved. And after that, God really put the desire in my heart to get married and bear children and keep house. And the keeping house part, I know, was really from the Lord because (laughs) that was really not something I enjoyed. But I really enjoy my children, and I have been very content to stay at home with them. And, you know, God knows this. Maybe he knew that I needed to get all of that out of my system before I had children because I've really been very happy just to stay at home with them. Um, This is the first year that they've both been in school, so I'm in a little different phase now. But um, basically, you know, for the last nine or ten years, I've I've been at home with my children. And it's really been a joy to watch them grow and develop. And I think for me, because I really was basically selfish in my 20s, that it was just... It's really enjoyable to find meaning in life outside of yourself and, you know, to really invest your life in the life of other people and not just always be thinking about what you want to do and and what's best for you, although, you know, that gets tiring sometimes and and you want a break. But I was just kind of looking back. I used to keep a journal when I only had one child, and I was looking back through that. And, you know, I'd written things down like Joseph said night, night, tonight. I mean, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But to me at the time, it was just really precious that, you know, as he started to learn to talk and to be able to respond. I mean, there's just nothing like that. I know when I had my first child, I just, I called somebody and I said, I mean, this is like nothing I've ever experienced. It's a love that, you know, I guess unless you've been a parent, it's hard to understand. It's just a different kind of love that you have for your children, and it's such a wonderful love that God gives you. And um, so the real rewards have been watching them grow and develop and, you know, from very young, teaching them about the Lord, attempting to lead them to the Lord. I've told a couple of you this story. It's really funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time. I was so gung-ho when Christina, I can't remember if she was three or four, but I thought I'd try the EE method on her. I thought, you know, she's grown up in a home that, that, um, you know, we talk about Jesus and you wonder when children grow up with it so much, you know, when is it really real to them? One day we were just talking and I thought, well, this is a good opportunity. So I said, Christina, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? I don't want to die, mommy, mommy, I don't want to die. I want to be with you. I don't want to die. So, you know, don't try that on very young children. You know, took me a long time to convince her that she was not going to die. So... I thought, okay, God, we'll, you know, try another approach at a later time. But anyway, so uh, I did have the joy, though, this year. She's six, and I guess, I think it was around Christmas time. We were talking just about Jesus, and and, um, I asked her if she'd ever ask him in my heart. And she was just getting out of the tub. Julia Ross said, that's real significant. That was her (laughs) baptism. (laughs) But anyway, so she said, no, I want to pray right now. And so we just prayed right there in the bathroom, you know, while I was drying her off. And, you know, that kind of thing you couldn't buy with a million dollars. You know, it's just so precious to... um, to have the privilege to have a part in leading your own children to the Lord. Um, you know, I don't want to be unrealistic and paint an all-rosy picture because I think we all know that, that it certainly involves struggles too. And I remember one time my son was very strong-willed when he was younger. Well, he still is, but hopefully it's more controlled. And every season we would have a showdown when it was time to change from long pants to shorts or, you know, shorts to long pants. And so one day I just said, okay, this is it. You know, it's 
90 degrees, were not wearing long pants. And he screamed, literally. I know it was at least two and a half hours. I closed the house up because I thought the neighbors would think I was killing him. So, But I just, you know, I, I said... I'm going to win. You know, I'm not going to give up. Thank God there was a fire in our woods and a fire truck came and it got his attention, you know, onto that. So, so, you know, I won that battle. But after that, I kind of saw a turning. You know, it's like there's some battles. I know you have to pick which battles are worth uh, sticking in there to win. But I think the Holy Spirit will show you when you need to just say, this is it. I'm the authority, you know, and establish um who's in charge. Again, though, you know, I say this with all humility because my children are still relatively young. I know um, Mary Frances Pierce told me one time that it's very physically tiring when your children are young, and then it gets very emotionally tiring as they get older. So I'm kind of (laughs) in the transition right now. Um, And, you know, hopefully some of the good seeds we planted will, will sprout later. But also, you know, it it gives you a perspective, I guess, on God of how when your children do go through difficult times, our, our son has some problems with his speech and he's had allergies. You know, you just really hurt for your children and you you just want the best for them. And so I guess there is that pain as well as the joy involved, but I sure wouldn't trade it for anything. And I guess Pastor Little had said something about some of the stresses for me right now is is the biggest stress is sibling rivalry, and I would be happy to take any advice on that. You know, it just seems never-ending um, from who's going to sit where in the car to, you know, oh, just anything. A piece of dirt on the floor becomes very appealing if they both see it. So, you know, that right now is our biggest stress. But still, it's, I'm very blessed. I'm very thankful to the Lord for giving us children and I really do enjoy being a mother, and I appreciate it. Really, was good for me to kind of reflect on it because sometimes in the day to day, you just kind of forget what a blessing it is. So, thanks for asking. Thank you. Now, that's an interesting theological dilemma because she thanked the Lord for a fire that uh, got her son's attention. And I don't know if those people that had that fire were that grateful. So, in the words, sometimes, you know, it's kind of like praying for the ball team. You know, you pray that you win. Well, if you win the other side losing, suppose the other side's praying. Uh, I think the Lord must have a difficult time sometimes. Harry, did you have a question? Uh, so, Mary Jane, uh, did Bush burn up? Uh, well... You know, I don't know. We were so entranced with the fire truck that I, there was really no major damage. It just was enough to be a diversion, you know, and it was just in the woods. <laughs> That's the point, though, the burning bush. Well, I really appreciate you sharing, Mary Jane, and what you shared because um, one of the real things is when she describes what she goes through, then you don't feel so weird if you're going through the same thing. That's one of the values of a small group because we tend to think that we have worse problems than anybody else. And I know the first time I got involved in a small group, I was just absolutely amazed. I thought we had horrendous problems and I went to the group and by the time they got through sharing, I felt pretty good. (laughs) I felt so bad off. 
after all. So um, if you've had your child scream for a couple of hours and couldn't control them, maybe you felt, you know, well, if you were really the right kind of mother, you could do that. And you find out that Mary Jane had the same problem. But I go back to repeat what I said before, that I think the synonym for a mother and a wife is the word precious. And I not only think that, but I believe God thinks that. And if you take your Bible and turn in the back of the New Testament to 1 Peter, over in the back, chapter 3, there's just one verse there that I would call to your attention. Chapter 3 is talking about husbands and wives, and we're not going to get into all of that. I will get more into that when I talk about the husbands. But in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, is a very significant verse. It says, You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I think the hardest thing for a male is to be understanding because males are just not as sensitive as females. They're really not. I believe God gives a woman something he doesn't give a man as far as an understanding and sensitive nature. A man is more surface than a woman. That's the reason a woman can be hurt much deeper because I believe she takes it more deeply than a man by and large. So it says a man is to be understanding with a woman as with a weaker vessel. Now that word weaker vessel in the Greek, you, it's sort of like if you compare an antique vase to an iron skillet. That's what we're talking about. The iron skillet being the man and the antique vase being the woman. That's the reason I say God agrees with me when the synonym for a wife and a mother is the word precious. And remember, she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Gentlemen, you should expect, give as much grace to your wife as you want God to give to you. And realize that you're not perfect and your wife is not always perfect and we share in this thing of being heirs of grace. And this is how you treat your wife is very much annexed to how much you grow spiritually. The Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. And I think you can apply that in the husband-wife relationship. As you're understanding with your wife, as you realize your wife is a weaker vessel, both from the aspect of being precious and also for the aspect in the aspect of not being as physically strong. Now, that's just true. 
Men have 50% more brute strength than women. Now that varies. There are some men that are very weak and there are some women that are very strong. But overall, a man has 50% more brute strength than a woman. And therefore, a man should realize that and realize that sometime the stamina is not as great. But also primarily there is this thing of being more precious. And I think the more precious Lee, a man treats a woman, uh, the better God is pleased and the better relationship a man has. I think in the relationship, you need to remember the principles of communication. And that is, and this is kind of um, surprising to me, you communicate, the people who are supposed to know what they're talking about say, 7% of what you communicate comes through what you say. 38% comes through your tone of voice. And 55% comes through your body language. Isn't that amazing? Only 7% through what you say. 38% through how you say it. And then 55%, which is over half, the way your body is situated when you say it. One attorney wanted to estimate the value or the preciousness of a wife and mother. And so he listed everything that the average mother and wife does. And here's his list. Chauffeur, gardener, family counselor, maintenance worker, cleaning woman, housekeeper, cook, public relations expert, errand runner, bookkeeper, budget manager, interior decorator, caterer, dietitian, secretary, and hostess. And I would add receptionist on the telephone. And he estimated that that's worth approximately $900 a week or $47,000 a year which he would estimate that the average mother is worth. Lord Shaftesbury, talking about labor and what a woman is worth, Lord Shaftesbury, the great labor leader in the 1800s that really was the one that brought labor unions into existence. Now, labor unions got perverted, but Lord Shaftesbury started the movement. He was a Christian. And he was concerned because people were being exploited in the workplace. And he talked about mothers and he said, give me a generation of Christian mothers and I will undertake to change the whole face of society in 12 months. Now he was a student of the Bible. And the Bible exalts the wife. Proverbs 18, 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Like I told you before, the Bible says, it's not good for a man to live alone. Doesn't say that for a woman, although one of our single women 
came up and was very upset that I said that. <laughs> she said, it's not good for a woman to live alone either. Well, maybe so, but the Bible says it more of the man. Now, the Bible is not completely romantic when it deals with women, and it realizes that they're good women and they're bad women. There are loving women and there are ornery women. And the Bible says that it is better to live in the corner of a rooftop than in a whole house shared with a contentious woman. That's in Proverbs 21, 9. I didn't say that. Proverbs did. <laughs> Another great student of the Bible, Martin Luther, said, the greatest gift of God is a pious, amiable spouse who fears God loves her house, and with whom one can live in perfect confidence. And if you read the book of Proverbs, and I would recommend you do this, this is the wisdom book of the Bible written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And if you, live, if you read one proverb a day, you read through it every month, and the last day of the month, you'll come to Proverb 31. And Matthew Henry, the ancient biblical commentator, called Proverbs 31, God's looking glass for the woman. And in that, it is addressed, if you want to turn to Proverbs, let's turn there in the Bible. That's about in the middle of the Bible, right after Psalms. Proverbs, turn all the way through the book of Proverbs all the way to the end and you come to 31 and you read something about somebody that you have no earthly idea of who it is and don't feel stupid because nobody knows who it is. It says the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. Nobody knows who King Lemuel was. Lemuel means literally in the Hebrew, belonging to God. And most scholars believe that it was Bathsheba's little pet name for Solomon. Now that is not what Solomon means, but she called him Lemuel, which means belonging to God. Do you remember that Solomon was the product of adultery? which is another argument against abortion. Some people say, well, if somebody's illegitimate or this kind of thing, well, maybe it'd be better. Well, I'm so glad that that didn't happen when Solomon was the child product of adultery, but his mother loved him and his mother and his father repented and so she called him Lemuel, possibly belonging to God. And so this is addressed uh, to him, and this is what he says using that name concerning uh, a woman. That's interesting. This Proverbs 31, you can't tell it in the English, but if you could look at it in the Hebrew, you would find that every verse here begins with a different Hebrew letter in order. For instance, if this was English, it would be, one verse would be A, begin with A, the next verse would begin with B, the next verse would begin with C, the next verse would begin with D. 
And that's what happens in Proverbs 31 uh, in these verses, beginning with verse 10. It is an acrostic. And most scholars believe that the reason for that was that this was to be used to teach women how to be mothers. And so it begins with a different Hebrew letter in sequence so they could remember it. So let's look at this teaching beginning in Proverbs 31, verse 10. It begins by saying, An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. Now the word excellent there does not mean excellent in, you know, as in quality, uh, good, better, or excellent. It means, uh, it's kind of a combination word that means strength and wealth and ability, a person of intelligence, talent, and ability. That's what it all means. That's what that Hebrew word translated excellent means. That's certainly not spoken about somebody who's supposed to stay barefoot and pregnant. It's really not. Nowhere does the Bible demean a woman. It is said here, an excellent wife, a wife that is talented, a wife that is smart, a wife that has all kind of ability, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. Verse 11. Uh, well, let's look down to 13. We'll come back to 11 in a minute. Uh, verse 13, it says that she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is a willing worker. Verse 14, that she's not lazy. Verse 14 and 15. She is like merchant ships she brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. This means that she is self-sacrificing. I like what one marriage counselor has written. He said, some lovers will be shocked, I suppose, when they learn that violins don't always play in the background as they do in the movies. You can't always fade and dissolve into the next scene. Marriage is somewhat like golf. You have to play your shot right where it lies. It's the real world, not some piece of fiction. And true love stays constant even in the difficult time. A genuine valentine is one who is still at your side and in your heart, when the rent is due, the baby is crying, and the sink is leaking. I like that. That's the kind of wife that is here. It says she is self-sacrificing. Now let me tell you something. When this was written, this was an agrarian society by and large. And most women did not work outside the home. But this woman did. She not only worked in the home, but the next verses tell us in verse 16, she considers a field and buys it 
from her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She evidently was systematic. She saved her husband's money and she invested it. So this might be the first woman that works outside the home. And it said she got up early in the morning and her light did not go out at night. I tell you, I can't believe some women. They put men to shame. There are women in this church who work outside the home and they come home every night after working all day and they prepare supper. And then they do little things like mending clothes or like cleaning a house or all of these things. And they amaze me. And I don't think that is a modern phenomenon. I think this woman was like that. And she had things she did outside of the home. And she was very industrious. Verse 17 says, she girds herself with strength. Now I believe a woman has to be strong with all the things she does, raising children, keeping the home, caring for the sick child, loving her husband. That's the biggest thing. Verse 18, it says her work is never done. Now if you combine verse 16, 17, and 18, it says she is um, financially careful, systematic, saves her husband's money. She's strong for all of her duties. Her work is never done. This certainly isn't monastic asceticism. Some people have the idea that the people who are real serious for the Lord, they're the ones that go off to a monastery somewhere or to a retreat and they sit and they pray all the time. Now I think maybe God calls some people to that. But I believe God calls some people to be active. And I think there's some people that bless God in activity. And this is the picture of the normal housewife and mother who is a very active person. And that's part of her um, worship to the Lord. Verse 18 says, She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. Her work is never done. Like I said, that's most working mothers that I see today. Look at verse 20. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. Now that's not talking about those in her house. That's talking about she ministers outside the home. Now I think a woman who doesn't do anything for anybody else is going to have a hard time doing everything she's supposed to do in her home. But again, the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. And so I believe as a woman is charitable and invest her life in other people, then I think it returns to her and she has the strength to do her work. I thought about the members of our softball last night. Now they went out there last night and they played hard. 
And they had worked all day. And I've seen them go out there at 8.30 at night. I think once last year they played at 9.30 at night. But I believe when you give beyond yourself, whether it's, you know, in sport for your church or whether it's ministering to other people, I believe there's a strength. Self-centered people are worn out real easily because they have all of their, their energy concentrated on themselves. And for some reason, that wears you out more than anything else. Don't believe it? Try it. This woman did all of this, and then she invests herself, she stretches out her hands to the poor and the needy. Verse 21, she provides for her family's needs. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Now, you don't appreciate that, but no poor family had scarlet clothes. Scarlet, very rich red color, was only reserved for expensive garments. So this mother, who extended her hands to charity, it came back home. She was able to provide for her household with scarlet. And it's interesting, that word is plural in the Hebrew, not singular. It literally means layers of scarlet. Talked about the snow. It was cold. And so she was able to wrap her family up in scarlet coverings rather than just regular coverings. You see, God does provide for his people. And when you follow through the principles of his word, then he does not give you just the minimum things, but gives you more. Verse 22, and this is so important, ladies. She is well-groomed. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. I like very much um, what Gladys Keating said one time when she was teaching here. She was teaching on this Proverbs 31, and she said this woman was, her clothing was dyed, but it was not dowdy. <laughs> and I like that. You don't have to have expensive clothing. But I believe that a woman, I think the greatest thing she has going for her is her femininity. And this woman, with everything she did, she kept herself feminine. And she looked after her clothing. Because she was not only, her activity was not only centered in herself, but also uh, she was concerned about her husband. Now look back in verse 11 and 12 in this proverb. This is the effect she had on her husband. It says, The heart of her husband trust in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then <clears throat> you see what he says of her. He says her worth in the verse before is far above jewels. And then in another verse, it has in verse 23, 
Look at verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. What, what does that mean? Her husband is known in the gates. Her husband was somebody. And part of the reason he was somebody was because she was somebody. And so the life she lived caused her husband to be known in the gates. This kind of woman builds up a husband and makes his value known to other people. And then it says what she gets. It says that, verse 28, her children rise up and bless her. Also says her husband praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Gentlemen, if you have a wife like this and you want to keep her, you brag on her. You brag on her a lot. And you let her know how much she means to you. And you let her know how precious she is. And you tell other people how precious she is. And when you have people in your home, you let them know how proud you are of her. And your wife will begin to receive the benefits that she deserves from the things that she is doing. Now, also, as I close here, I want to say this woman has one other quality, which is very important. It's the quality of sexual attractiveness, and that is important. The Bible is not an asexual book, but let's turn over to another book that is written by Solomon, the same author. And let's turn over past Ecclesiastes to the Song of Solomon and go to chapter 4. And let's see what it says here. When the man extols the physical beauty of his bride... How beautiful you are, my darling. This is chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind the, your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now notice, he's not talking about her spirituality. He's talking about her body. Your hair is like a flock of goats. They have descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes, which have come up from their washing all of which bear twins, and no one among them has lost her young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields, all round shields of the mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense." 
You see, this woman, the godly woman, is the woman who does not forget her femininity and makes herself attractive to her husband and sees to it that he appreciates her beauty. And then also, she is attracted to him physically. So uh, look over to chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. And you find the woman responds to the husband, and she's not talking about his spirituality. She's talking about his body. My beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding. This is chapter 5, verse 10. This is in the Bible. Outstanding among 10,000. His head is like gold, pure gold. His locks are like the cluster of dates and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk and reposed in their setting. His cheeks are like a bed of balsam, banks, balsam banks of sweet-scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His abdomen is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of alabaster set on pedestals of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is full of sweetness. He is whole. How do you reckon she found that out? That's because he kissed her and she tasted his mouth. His mouth is full of sweetness. He is wholly desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend. And of course, I believe this is in here not only for the love of the man for the woman and the woman for the man, but I believe Solomon's passion for the Shulamite woman mirrors the passion that God has for us because he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. And I believe the maiden's passion for Solomon mirrors the passion that we should have back for God. And you see the sexual relationship, believe it, the sexual relationship is the closest we get to heaven on this earth. That's what God thinks about sex. And when it's done right, and when it's kept right, that's what it is. And so as we discuss the woman, all of these come about. And next time we're going to discuss the man. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you know how to make us and you know how to put us together. And Father, you know what we're supposed to be and none of us are. But we thank you, Lord. We have your word and your word can help us. And Father, we thank you for your helpfulness and your love. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.